Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. This morning on Easter Sunday, I'm going to use some bad words. I'm just warning you. Not curse words or dirty words, but bad words like disillusioned, discouraged, despair, death. Can't you just feel those words? When we say those words, disillusioned, discouraged, despair, death, those are words that, that we, can, we can feel. Have you ever felt those words? And maybe the question is, are you feeling those things now? That you knew you needed to be in church today because you're going through such a difficult time and you've faced these words head on and you've, you've dealt with them. This morning, I want to share with you that the resurrection changes everything. It takes us from hopelessness to hope. That's what the resurrection does. The resurrection is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago that we talk about once, once a year. The resurrection is something that changed the course of history, and it changed the course of your history and your destiny, and it matters in our lives every day because this Jesus that rose from the dead 2,000 years ago is still alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father. The resurrection changes everything. We have been looking at the road to Easter for the past few weeks. We looked at the, the story of uh, Zacchaeus and how his name meant innocent, although he was far from innocent. But Jesus called him down out of the tree. He gave his life to the Lord and then gave back all of the money that he had stolen. And we looked at what happened on the road to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a, a donkey. And now we're looking at another road. It's in Luke 24, Luke 24, 13 through 35. Uh, we're not going to have it up on the screen, but if you want to turn there and follow along. But I would encourage you at some point uh, today. And do it, do it today on Easter Sunday before you go to bed or you have a quiet moment or after family leaves or whatever the situation might be, to read this for yourself. But I want to walk you through this from Luke 24, 13 through 35 and highlight some of the points here. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him because God had a higher purpose for them. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood there, their faces, verse 17, downcast. You see that word? Downcast. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and, and you don't know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said, what things? Now, it's not that Jesus didn't know. <laughs> he lived it. He wanted to get this out of them. He wanted them to begin thinking about these events 
and then he was going to explain it. And so they responded uh, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, they said. He was powerful in word and deed. Before God and all the people, he showed his power in teaching, in preaching, and in deed before all the people. In verse 20, but the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, watch this. But we had hoped, past tense, meaning they had given up hope, that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since this took place. And what they mean is he said he would rise on the third day, and here it is the third day, and he hasn't risen yet. Now, do you get the picture? He's standing right next to him. <laughs> they knew that he was a prophet. They knew that Jesus wasn't just another man. They knew that he wasn't just another teacher. They knew there was something special about Jesus. He was powerful in word. It says that he taught with authority like they had never heard before. The teaching of that day, the religious leaders would just get together and discuss and over and over and over minutia of the law. But Jesus took the same Bible, the Old Testament, the law, and he explained it in a way that they had never heard before. And people were drawn to him. You know the stories. He fed 5,000, probably 15,000 with family. But why were they there in the first place? Before he fed them, he taught them. So amazing was his teaching, so different than anything they had ever heard before. They gathered in multitudes to hear Jesus preach. And then, after the word, he would confirm the word through the wonders and then he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. You know these stories. And they saw it firsthand. The religious leaders even saw the miracles of Jesus. On one Sabbath, he healed a man with a withered hand, and they watched it happen. And the only thing they were, uh, that caught their attention is, oh, he did this on the Sabbath. Oh, not caring that the man was now made whole. The man born blind in John chapter 9. They knew this man. He was part of the church. And he was healed and he could see. They saw the miracles, but they refused to truly see. But these disciples, not apostles, they're not part of the 12, but they're part of the followers of Christ. They knew that Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. But they thought what was going to happen is that he was going to restore Israel. They thought that he was going to bring Israel back to its former glory. They thought that he was going to destroy Rome and give them back their land, the promised land. So what happened to these disciples, even though they had walked with Jesus and heard Jesus and talked with Jesus, they became, here's the first bad word I mentioned, disillusioned because their expectations weren't appropriate. What they thought would, they would see didn't happen. And so I asked the question very simply, we've all been there, haven't we? Haven't we had our expectations of what life was going to be or what God was going to do, and he didn't do it yet or he didn't do it in the way we thought he would? And that first bad word that we used is disillusioned. It's because our expectations are out of line with the reality of things. Sometimes we have a picture of what our life is going to be or what our life should be. You're probably better off to take the word should out of your vocabulary because it doesn't lead anywhere good. Well, that person should. Well, probably not. Or this should or that should. 
This is just sets us up for unrealistic expectations and that first dirty word or bad word disillusioned. Sometimes we have this image of where we thought we would be, a perfect life, a perfect family, where everyone gets along and everyone loves everyone else and, and close-knit and we would stay close forever and our children would stay young and need us forever and all of those things that just don't happen. And we look back on our life and we become disillusioned. We think, well, I'll have the perfect job. There is no perfect job. There's no perfect situation. Now, I'm going to get more exciting as time goes on, but I just talk the way that it is. The reason there's no perfect job or perfect situation is because you're there. (laughs) That's why running away from problems never works because you're, you're like still there. And often you, and when I say you, I mean me too, we're the common denominator. We're the person that's always there in all of these different things that aren't perfect. And we become disillusioned. Some think that they'll have a perfect retirement. It'll be a time of rest and travel and grandchildren. The people I know that have retired are busier now than ever. Their only travel is to the doctors back and forth. And they don't see their grandchildren as often as they would like or would would think that they would. What happens? Well, we don't live in a perfect world and things aren't going to be perfect. Be careful that we don't fall into the trap of these fellows on the road to Emmaus that were disillusioned. Because disillusion leads to discouragement. Discouragement. What did I do wrong? Discouragement always looks inward or outward, but it never looks upward. Because when we look upward, it destroys discouragement, okay, which I'm going to get to. Disillusionment leads to discouragement. What did I do wrong? Why aren't things getting better? Even for church people, I prayed, I go to church, I give, I listen, I love God, I'm a believer. But the more we think, the more discouraged we become. There's five times in Scripture where it says, and he thought to himself, And you know, every time that occurs, something bad happens because it's never good when we think to ourselves. The only hope out of these things is to get our mind, to have the mind of Christ and get the word of God into our heart and lives and stop looking inward and outward and start looking upward, okay? But disillusioned leads to discouragement, which if it's allowed to continue in our hearts and lives, leads to the next bad word, despair, And we know that that word, remember I pointed it out to you as I was reading, they were downcast. They were in despair. They were depressed. They had no hope. Now, let me mention depression very quickly here. This type of depression is not medical depression or chronic depression that we need help with. I'm just talking about an attitude here that takes place. But see how how disillusioned we thought things would be different leads to discouragement, leads to despair that it's not ever going to get better. We kind of, in a sense, throw in the towel. This is just the way it is. It's never going to get better. That's downcast. That's despair. That's no hope. Why should I even try because it's not going to get better? And despair always leads to death. And here, I don't even mean physical death. I mean something worse. Something worse than physical death is dying before we're actually dead. Giving up on life. 
giving up on hopes and dreams before we're even dead. Because for the believer, death is a, is a, uh, uh, it's a promotion. But I've watched too many believers that believe in the resurrection but don't believe in the resurrection die before they're dead. I had the privilege several years ago of, of sharing at a funeral service for our uh, financial secretary. Her husband passed away, and he was just a great guy. I'm not going to mention names as this goes out online and everything. And uh, she asked me to share a little bit, and I remembered the first time I met him. We were in transition with uh, our financial secretary, and I, I knew her, and you know, so we, we met, and I offered her the position, and they wanted to come, and her husband wanted to meet me before she made this step and accepted it. So they come out to our VBS, Vacation Bible School, that that year was the superhero VBS. And you know who I am, right? I, I am Batman. Like, if you're new here, you don't know that yet, but I'm like, I am Batman. So they come wanting to know me, wanting to get to know me and just have some interaction and ask some questions. I'm up on the roof of the cafe dressed as Batman. The first time that this husband ever met me, and so the, 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 the game was the kids were in here. I was up on the roof, which I was good at going up, terrified coming down the ladder. You know how you have to back down the ladder, you know? Anyway, so I was up there, and I'm dressed in full Batman, an old, old fat Italian Batman, and uh, I'm up there, and the kids had to find me, and so they come out, and they, they look up, and they see me, and they start chanting, Jump, jump. <laughs> True story. Hurtful, hurtful. And I see her and her husband turn the corner, and there I am, dressed as Batman on the roof of the church with the children yelling, jump. And you know what he said? I love that. And I knew this was the right place for my wife as soon as I saw that. And you know what I shared at his funeral? I shared that he lived his life before he died. And the worst tragedy would be that he died before he was ever dead. The resurrection says that we can have life and we can have abundant life. Because Jesus is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father. Watch. Misplaced expectations. Well, this should happen. Can you take that word out? I'm going to add that to our bad word, should. Can lead to disillusionment. I thought things would be different. Which can lead to discouragement. Which can lead to despair. What difference does it make? I'm not even going to try. Which leads to death. That we die on the inside before we're dead. It's giving up. Those are bad words. But I'm here to tell you not just bad words. I'm going to show you in real life what, a, what the difference the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. So let's go back to our passage in verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. Now these are these guys on the road telling Jesus their story, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. 
And Jesus says to them, he speaks up and says, how foolish are you? How slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Watch verse 26 if you see it. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? See, they wanted the crown before the cross, but Jesus didn't receive the crown until he went to the cross. And sometimes we want all the blessings of life without the suffering that goes along with it. Now, you might say, well, that's not good news. The good news is, is that suffering is temporal, just like it was in Jesus' life. The death on the cross was temporal. That Saturday where they weren't sure what was going on was temporal. But because he rose again, ascended back to heaven before their very eyes, sent the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 to confirm that he was at the right hand of the Father, that they all spoke in the language they didn't understand. Thousands of people were saved. They knew that Jesus was alive and Jesus as well. But what they didn't understand at this point, what disillusioned them is that suffering is part of life on this earth. Messed up families, unfortunately. Now, I'm not saying this in despair. I'm saying it so you're not disillusioned. Yeah, messed up families are part of life because guess what? We're all messed up. And maybe I'm joking about this I know some of you are new and you're not used to my sense of humor. I'm an acquired taste. You have to know that. Some of the family members that talk about, that you talk about, guess what? They're talking about you. And they're sitting in church thinking, oh, God, help that person. Just like you're sitting in church thinking, I got to have a meal with this person. See? Things are messed up on earth. There's no perfect job. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect spouse. There's no other than mine. There's no perfect. That almost slipped, didn't it? In life, we face difficulties. So what difference does the resurrection make? The resurrection, the difference it makes is whatever we go through in this life is just temporary. Because we're just passing through that God has something so much better for us. Jesus said to them, don't you understand that the Christ had to suffer? See, they read Zechariah that he was going to come riding in on a donkey. They read Zechariah that, 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 that war was going to be gone. They didn't read Isaiah 53 that said he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. See? They missed that part, and unfortunately, really, I have good news here, but i got to set it all up before it makes its full impact. In this life, we're going to have trials, troubles, and tears, but the resurrection changes everything because we can get through it because we know that God has something better for us because he was resurrected, we will be resurrected, and we will live with him forever and ever, and all of the problems of this world will be gone in the next world to the point that we won't even remember what happened here because his glory will be so great that all we will do was give him the glory, honor, praise that he rightfully deserves. Glory to God. Whatever you're going through today, it's not going to last forever. And that doesn't minimize what you're going through any more than the cross minimized Jesus' suffering because we knew the outcome. Yes, what you're facing is difficult. Face reality. We handle things either by dramatizing them, which means we make it worse than it is, 
or downplaying them by ignoring what's a fact. We have to fall somewhere in the middle of reality. Yes, what I'm facing is difficult, but just as real as the difficulty of our circumstances is that Jesus rose again, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and if I accept him as my Lord and Savior, someday I will be in heaven for all eternity. I've been at the deathbed of many believers. And you know what their hope was? Now, this sounds bad for Pentecostal believers that believe in healing, okay, which I do. But you know what they were looking forward to? Is the ultimate healing. They faced reality that things aren't going to be the way I would want them to be for now. But I can hardly wait for then. I can hardly wait for eternity. And that's why I've been at the bedside of believers and we praised God. We gave glory and honor to him. And the, honor, the, the reality is they blessed me more than I blessed them because they understood that what we're going through is temporal, that better days are ahead. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything. As they approach the village, verse 28 to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went to stay with them, verse 30, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he began to give it to them. What did he do? He took them back to the cross. Verse 31, do you see it? Then their eyes were opened. Then their eyes were opened, and they realized what was happening here. He was the Christ. He came not to conquer the Romans. He came to conquer sin and death, and he did it not by warfare, but he did it on the cross. And they began to realize that the victory came at the cross. When he said, it is finished, when he said, Father, I commit my spirit into your hands, when it was done, it was done. He brought them back to the cross where he broke the bread and gave thanks. Then their eyes were open. Then they recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? And on the road and as he opened the scriptures to us. And so they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They walked back, ran back seven miles back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when, they broke, when he broke the bread. Their eyes were opened. He recognized them, and he left them again. Although they couldn't see him now, they still believed. That's faith. You haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, but you believe. That's faith. That, that's the greatest faith. That's the faith that saves us. That's the faith that sustains us. That's the faith that, that uh, uh, paves the way for us to enter into heaven for all eternity. Even though we don't see, we believe. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I need to t take just a minute here. We're going to be done a little early today. But I need to take a minute. And I'm just going to tell you why I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Me. I grew up in church, 
But at some point, I had to make this decision for myself. It wasn't my parents' relationship with Jesus or my grandparents' relationship with Jesus. It had to be mine. Here's why I believe in the resurrection. Me, Randy Sabella, because the tomb was empty, number one, okay? That the stone had been rolled away, okay? The first, now let's imagine that the religious leaders at the time, if they could have found the body, Christianity would have stopped at that point. Here's you crazy Christians declaring that Jesus is risen from the dead. Here's his body. It would have all been done, but they couldn't. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, show the body because it, it wasn't there. Number two, this is an interesting one, in that the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ to declare to the world that Jesus was ri risen were women. And I don't mean that in a chauvinistic sort of way. I mean it in a first century sort of a way that women weren't even allowed to testify in court. And yet out of all humanity, God in all of his glory chose women to be the first ones to declare Jesus is risen. Like if the disciples were making this story up and had written it many years later and they're just writing a novel, they would have never chosen women because of that culture. They would have never chosen women to be the first witness of Jesus' resurrection. I believe that Jesus rose again. Number three, this isn't the, all the reasons. This is just some of them. That people will die for what they believe is a lie, but they won't die for what they know is a lie. They might die for what they believe is a lie, but people will not die for what they know is a lie. Every one of the disciples, and I preached this last week, every one of the disciples died a martyr's death because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At any time, any of those disciples could have denied the resurrection and they would have lived and probably been glorified on earth, put up on a podium. Oh, they were a follower of Christ, but now they've denied all of that. Look at them, look at them. Our world still does that today, don't they? They find a pastor that fell. Well, there's 300,000 of us that haven't. But not one of them denied faith in Jesus Christ. Some were hacked to death. Some were crucified upside down. John, the only one that didn't die a martyr's death, it died of old age, they boiled him, and he didn't die. They threw him on an island, and God, Jesus, revealed himself to him, and he wrote the book of Revelation. No one dies for what they know is a lie. Jesus is alive. They saw it firsthand. 500 believers he appeared to. The next, the world was changed. The world was never the same because of the resurrection. Now, we're going to sing at the end, and I'm almost done. He lives, and I know he lives because he lives in my heart. And the, one of the reasons I believe Jesus rose again is because he's the only one that can take me from a sanctuary sinner and make me into what he made me into today. And that can only happen because he is alive and well and seated at the throne. This is not something I just preach because I'm obligated to. I believe with all of my heart and have given my life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and rose that we might live forever with him. Glory to God.
got a text from a dear friend of mine from college. We met in 1984. He sent it to to a couple of others that are pastoring. He was up at 5, I have to say something funny or else I'm going to keep crying. He was up at 5.30 in the morning texting. I'm not sure. They, uh, I didn't get it at 5.30 in the morning. I'm not a, a morning guy. 5.30 in the morning, he texted myself, another friend in the ministry. He said, love you. What a privilege we have to preach Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen on the third day. Happy Easter. And I thought to myself, God, you've been so good to me. Undeserved. But I will commit the rest of my life to telling others that Jesus is alive, that he died because he loves you so much that he didn't want to spend eternity without you. He suffered so that he could rise again on the third day so that even though we suffer for a time, we will rise with him on that day and live with him for all eternity where there is no sickness, no pain, no tears, no tissues, no undertakers. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all of the difference. So these fellows here on the road, as I begin to close, we call it landing the plane. And I'm not going to go back up again. I know I do that and I apologize. This day I'm not. I know sometimes it seems like I'm landing in a night circle. I'm going to land it. I promise, Vi, I promise. These disciples went from disillusion, discouraged, despair, that can ultimately lead to death before we die, to look at these words. These are words we should use more often. Hope, courage, their own testimony of experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ and life. That's what Jesus gives us. He takes us from disillusionment and discouragement and despair and death to hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We have courage to live this life that he has called us to because he's seated at the right hand of the Father and given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a testimony. Mine's from the sanctuary. Yours might be from the streets, but it's the same testimony that we're here today. He changed us because he died for us because of his great love for us. These are the words we, life, we have life. Can I ask you a favor? Would you start living life? Jesus died and rose again to give us life on earth, abundant life and eternal life. Stop living like you're dead. Enjoy life. Everything he created is for you. Every blessing you have is from him. Enjoy it. You have good food today? Enjoy it. Give thanks to God. It's the only reason you have it. You have a home to live in and a nice home and you've been blessed. Enjoy it. He's given it to you. Don't make it a God, but give God the glory for it. Live life. What kind of witness is it for believers to be the most, oh boy, I'm preaching now. I'm preaching. What kind of believe what, what kind of witness are we as believers that we're the most d- 
depressing people. How are you doing? You know, we got enough wine in this world. I don't think we need any more. We're alive. God is good. But aren't you going through stuff? Yes, I'm going through stuff just like everybody else. But I know I'm going to get through it because the resurrection changes everything. Let's live. Let's have joy. I think it says in there, the joy of the Lord is our... (laughs) Hope, courage, testimony. All right, Revelation. This is the end because I'm at Revelation now. When I saw him, this is John. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm... I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I am the victorious one. And you will have victory because I am victorious. You will have eternal life because I am the resurrection and the life. Easter changes everything. Changes everything. Don't give up. There's hope. Don't give in. There's hope. Look in the tomb. It's empty. Look up to heaven. There's a throne. And it ain't empty. It's filled with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was dead but is now alive forever and forever. Easter changes everything. And all God's people said... Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.